Um, I'm sure you guys, anytime you turn on the TV, uh, are disturbed by what you hear on the TV, uh, especially if you watch the news. Now, if you're watching, you know, some, I don't know, cooking channel or history channel, something like that, it's not so bad. We give grief. I mean, it's just, it's like a soap opera. I remember when I was going to college, I had a friend whose, whose mother, uh, watched, uh, As the World Turns, soap opera. She'd been watching it for years. So she got us watching it. And, uh, and like five years later, I came back and watched another episode. It looks like it's still going on. Same thing. <laughs> same character, same issues. You know, uh, good grief. And that's kind of the way it is today with the news. You know, every time you turn it on, I don't give you this three weeks worth. Same jazz. Disturbing, too. Very, very disturbing. The world is really being shaken. And there's suffering really everywhere. There really is. People are disturbed. Okay? Have you been suffering? There's a lot of suffering going on in the body of Christ. A lot of challenges going on in the body of Christ. In in this church, uh, as we watch our younger generation grow into, you know, their their time, all of a sudden they figured it out. You know, there's real enemies out there, and those suckers are pretty bad. They got bad breath, all kinds of stuff. And they can hurt you, and they will hurt you. And so we're into the fight of our lives sometimes. And sometimes we wonder why. You know, what is the whole point of this? Uh, turn with me, if you would, to First Peter 1. I want to talk a little bit about that. What is the whole point of all this suffering and trials that we seem to be going through? You know, I think that there is a, there is something to be learned about the history of, the, of this church that may shed a little light on, uh, why. You know, why do we go through all these trials and these warfares and the sufferings that come because of that? Why this church? I have to say this. I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of supposing this is true, but I think it's true. You know, I've been living in Andrews for I can't even do the math anymore. 39 years. Holy moly. Is that right? I moved here in 1980. Somebody do the math for me. That's 39 years, isn't it? Don't do that. Okay, so I'm old. I'm still living. <laughs> you wonder why. Okay, so me. But, uh, and I've been in this church. Uh, I started coming to the beginning of this church in 82, I think. How old? When did you come? You were just a punk nothing. Talking about Rachel. You were, yeah, you were born. Were you two? Was she two? What year were you born? Eight. She's getting old, aren't you, Rachel? <laughs> Happy birthday to you. So, anywho, uh, you know, and I have to say, uh, you know, it started out great. Loved it. Everybody loved coming. It was exciting. You know, lots of hope and stuff. But then, uh, from the late 80s on, when God began to cleanse his church in the late 80s, and from that time forward, I can say that this church definitely has had its share of trials and sufferings of any church I've seen in Andrews. I mean, I will compare it really to any church. And uh, I don't know everything that's going on in every church. Maybe it's just because we're so out there with our stuff. Nothing's hidden. 
In fact, if we tried to hide it, I have, I have found that you will be on Channel 9 News. I have found you'll be on the news in Lubbock. Went up there one time for a family reunion, and my family was up there talking about the crap that was going on down there, down at some church and, and down here. And I just raised my hand and said, that's my church. Holy mackerel. So why? For a long time there, I mean, when it started going on, I, I, I'd get up every day like, I don't get this. I thought I was your friend. Do I have a birthmark somewhere? It's like bullseye for you. And so it really bothered me for a while. And But I, I'm beginning to make some sense out of it all. You know, and we'll talk about some of that today. Like it or not, when you join a church like this, you join in what's there. You become a part of it. Some people hang in there and, and go through all of it. Some people don't. But while they're here, they will get burned. The fire comes. We used to laugh about it. Y'all remember that? when we used to laugh about it back in the day? I remember Marty Chadwick was here. Uh, he got a dose of it. You know, and it became this. You know, we would say, well, welcome to the city of refuge. When would we say that? About two months or something like that after they'd been here a while. You know, they loved it at first, and all of a sudden, here comes the stuff. The stuff would come. And then we would say, so welcome to the city of refuge. You know, it's sweet in your mouth, like the prophet in the Revelation, John. Take this book, this book of prophecy. It was sweet in my mouth, but it became bitter to my stomach. This has been our walk. Amen? When you first taste it, it is so good because it's from God. But it is a prophetic church, this church. And so eventually you have to swallow it. And it turns. And now you get to pay for it. Amen. That's why it's so weird sometimes. The suffering and the fire trials. They continue on. And you see why here in uh, in First Peter 1, we're going to go through a scripture we went through last time, and we're going to add to it. First Peter 1, chapter 10. It says, of this salvation, of the salvation that we walk in today, the prophets in the Old Testament have inquired, and they searched carefully. They prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating. When he, the Spirit of Christ, testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So long before any of the sufferings of Jesus even came to pass, because he wasn't even here yet. His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, was in these guys foretelling what was going to happen when Jesus came? The sufferings of Christ, which we now look at as history, and the glories that should come. We've not yet seen all that. Look at verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, that's a real key point here today, what they got and what anyone who walks in this calling like that, what they're getting is not for themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. 
And we talked about a lot of that last week. How death works in us, but life in you. We suffer things so that we can receive the comfort of the Lord and the grace of him. And then once that process has been worked in us, then we can turn and pass that same comfort and grace to other people who are now going through similar experiences as yours. So you help them. And death continues to work in you. But life is the product that you give to the other. It's a great plan of God. He started it with Jesus. Actually, he started it with the spirit of Christ in these prophets. And so what they, what they experienced became, I mean, they would, they would write them down or someone would write down what happened. And these things became part of the Bible, the scriptures. Jesus said that he would fulfill all the scriptures. Everything that is written in the law of Moses, in the Psalms, and in the prophets. He would fulfill all these guys were foretelling. Okay? So their experiences became a part of his message to you. Okay? Did you know that part of your sufferings can also become part of his message to you? Now, you're not going to get written down in the Bible. But you will affect people. Isn't that the whole point anyway? It's to affect the people for the, for the gospel's sake. Well, how does it come? Uh, look at Second Peter. Let's just go out and get some of this. Second Peter, chapter 1. Same apostle writing. Verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. A better version of that is of any private origin. It does start with you. But prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So these things that comes to these guys wasn't because they wanted it to. In fact, I think as they got a dose of it, they didn't want any more of it. You know, because this stuff is like I just described, sweet to the mouth, bitter to my real life. You know, it's bad to go through it. Hard, hard on you. So it didn't come because of the will of man. It, they didn't just go out, I want to get me a prophecy today. You know, it didn't come that way. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. He directs it all. He's the origin of it all. And so, and then we write them down. The Spirit of Christ in them. And so it begins to testify of Christ. Look over at Revelation. It's the whole thing, everything, as we said, ends up pointing to Jesus. It's about him. But not just him. It's about his, him and his bride. It ends up in a wedding. He's looking for the rest of him, so to speak. He's still, and I, I kind of describe this with most men, we are still looking for our rib. Ladies, you got it. Would you please give it back? You got my rib. And the way you get it back is for the two to become one. And there's no other way to describe it than that. It's a mystery. I don't know how to say that. Duh, I really want my rib back. What's that mean? I don't know. 
I love you a lot. It's a mystery. But the unity that comes with a husband and a wife fills it up. You feel it. It's what's happening. So here in Revelation, we see that that finally it all is pointing to Jesus, but Jesus is pointing to his bride. He's looking for one who is just like him because we will see him as he is. And then we, with the two, will become one again, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. He set the plan up when he put him in the Garden of Eden. That's what I'm going to go back to. But this office with Jesus and his bride. And in chapter 19 of Revelation, it talks about the marriage supper of Jesus and his bride. And it talks about she's made herself ready. Verse 9, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now we talked about the spirit of Christ in the prophets. Here it's called the spirit of prophecy because it testifies of Christ. So in the last... I don't know, a few months, several months even. Been going in and out of this, going, wow, that thing makes so much sense to me right now. The spirit of prophecy, it, it makes sense in this way. It begins to describe my life and the life of this church. You know, the why of all of the stuff that goes on, why is here the spirit of prophecy? is at work here and has been for a long time. Actually, before I even got here, it's been a call. You know, isn't it amazing how many people that have come through the ministry from outside through here? They, how many of them have said that Andrews is a special place? I've heard that ever since I got here. At first when I got here, I thought, yeah, it's special. There's no traffic. Coming from Lubbock, that was wonderful. I didn't stop at any stop sign. Oh, it was great. Real laid back. Mayberry. It ain't that no more. But the calling of God has always been noted by other people who are spiritual. That there seems to be something different about it. And, and I've heard that from so many different people that don't even go to this church. People from the outside coming in. They always pick up on it. Likewise, I think there's always been a, a place that God's been looking for in the city of Andrews to lead the thing, to direct that spiritual work he wants to do in this town to make it special. So it was before me, and I hope it will succeed me in fulfilling what the calling is. But I think you see it here. You know, it all ends up here, that we all end up at the, at the Merry Supper of the Lamb. I want you all to be there. And it'll be clean, by the way, guys. You know, it'll be good. It'll be a good thing. It'll be sweet. It'll be wonderful. Well, I know this about those who have this, this testimony of Jesus, this spirit of prophecy. They get fault. Look at chapter 12 of Revelation. Chapter 12. Verse 17. 
I'm not going to go through the entire chapter, but it's, it's the war of the heavenlies kind of deal. So it's a big deal between the devil and, and the angels of God. The dragon, who was the devil, was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So whoever it is that has that testimony and the spirit of, the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus, is going to be made war with. He always is going to make war with you. Because what he had, what God has placed in us, if you will receive it, is a literal foretelling of what Jesus will be and is. And Satan hates the expression of that. He wants to quench it as much as he can. Because Jesus is powerful. And he will emerge victorious over it all. And so the more we can express that, the more a danger it is to the devil. And he will fight it early and often and to the end. Count on it. I think back on my own life. Go, why have I been so attacked in the area of family and my, and my wife's stuff? Why? All my life. And I think it's because of this, the call. I mean, he started early in my life and he's been hammering me ever since. And I now, I've been around the block a few times. Now I kind of get it. Okay. It's about this. And I can handle this now that I know what we're doing. Spirit of prophecy. You know what it is? Let me just see if I can describe it. God takes people. And he puts this spirit of Christ in them. And I, I'll, I'll tell you this much. Not everybody will go this way. Because they, they don't want, want to, for one thing. But they start living their life. And God begins to use their life as an expression of the things that Christ either has suffered, is producing right now, or will suffer. So what you go through literally is testifying of Jesus. That's what he said. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So your life becomes like a TV show. And it's like these reality TV shows that are on today. They, they all, in my book. Except that, what's that one you like, naked and unafraid? I'm sure that's really good. Never had watched it. But your life literally is a sign to the world about the phase of Christ. And I've printed some stuff out. Take a quick moment, just read them about the spirit of prophecy. It's it's so amazing to me. Um, It flows from the Holy Spirit. It literally waits for revelation to express itself. And, And then they take a picture of it like David. David was a prophet who had the spirit of prophecy in him. And his life literally became a picture of the things that Jesus would experience. It was David that wrote about I, uh, about my joints being, uh, my uh, bones being out of joint and, and then piercing me and, and, and giving me a cup of gall. And all those things that, that were prophesied of Jesus that he suffered on the cross, David wrote it. You know why? He lived it. He lived experiences that he didn't really understand, and he just wrote it down. 
This is the way it makes me feel. This happened. What the heck's that mean? He had no idea at the time that what he was literally doing was laying the prophetic word that Jesus would become. Isn't that weird? All through the scriptures, it talks about these guys that literally their life is sucked into the proclamations that they're making. And they become the side. Let me give you an example of a few of them. Um, yeah, here's one. The prophets are drawn into their proclamation. Their personal lives are affected as they themselves become a sign. And this, this guy, this commentary gives three straight examples. I kind of relate to some of these. Here's one, Hosea. You don't remember Hosea? He was a prophet. Did he experience anything in life that Jesus himself was going to have to go through? Yes, he did. He had to marry a, a harlot. You think the bride's been a harlot? Oh, yeah. Idolatry. Was Israel a harlot? Oh, yeah. For sure. But God made this man, he said, go marry a woman of prostitution and then have kids by her. And one of them is, oh, God, the names of these kids was uh, Lo-Ruhama. And that means I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. That's what his name meant. Your kid's going to have that name. You like that one? And he had two of them. What was the other one? Oh, yeah, Lo-Ami. That means you are not my people. That's what his kid's name meant. So he was beginning, he's living out something that literally becomes a picture of the salvation plan of God that Jesus had to come into and fix it. And at the end of Hosea, he says, tell those who are not my people, they are my people. He's talking about you. How about another guy? How about Jeremiah? You know what he told about Jeremiah and his wife? You're not going to have one. Because everyone who has a wife and kids in this place are going to get destroyed. Do not take a wife. So he had to live his life without a wife and kids. So that God could express the salvation plan through Jesus and what it cost him. Now are you getting it? It costs you something. It's bitter down here. How about Ezekiel? Guess what his experience was with a wife? She died. And God says, and you will not weep for her. You will not lament for her. Because that's what's going to happen to my people. I'm going to destroy their temple and they will not even be able to weep because they're going to be get taken out of here right then. So he lived his life as an expression of what God was going to do. And that Jesus would redeem some way, somehow. That's the spirit of prophecy. That's the spirit of Christ. It's in here. You're welcome. Well, I'm looking at the at what's going on today. And what's going on in our country. And I'm telling you. As a minister, as a guy who uh, minored in history in college, so from the secular standpoint, from a religious standpoint, this country is in trouble.
Okay? It really is. You can't keep shooting bullets at one another and eventually not get shot. And that's what we're doing with our tongues. We are literally biting and devouring one another. And Paul says, if you keep that up, you will consume one another. That was the state of Jerusalem when they were destroyed by the Romans. In fact, the Josephus, the historian, said that what the Romans did to them was actually a kindness because it stopped them from doing the stuff they were doing to one another. What they were doing to one another was worse than what the Romans did to them. Isn't that terrible? That's the path we're on. So God wants to deal with that. And he is dealing with that. And that's why I wanted to address you with the sufferings that you're seeing in our country and what our part to play in it is. All right? Because I think we have a part to play. I really do. Uh, You know, when Trump got elected, right before Trump got elected, I did not like that guy. And uh, I couldn't believe that he was still in the race after a month because he was a loudmouth. I just name some stuff that you don't like, you know. How can that guy be a Christian, you know? And so I was looking for anybody on the Republican side that we could run and hopefully win against Jezebel. Probably get shot down. I'm sure somebody got their, you got your iPhone on? I'm sure somebody heard that. So 10 days before the election, given the state that I'm in, concerning him, I hear this word. It literally stopped me in my tracks. And I said, God, you're showing me that Trump's going to get elected, aren't you? I'm going on record that it's against my will. But is that not what we just read in Peter? It did not come because of the will of man. Sometimes it's against your will. All right, so I'm on record. And the reason that I said that is because he gave me two scriptures. I want you to turn with me to the first one, Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Ten days before the election, he gave me this one and another one in Isaiah. An hour later, James Comey comes on the television news, all of them, for some, they all agreed that one thing was newsworthy, to declare that he's going to reopen the case on email stuff on Hillary Clinton's server. He just shot her election in the head. Now, somebody, I think he, think he thought he was going to help her, but that was a silver bullet. I couldn't believe it. God tells me this. An hour later, this guy's on national news saying he's going to open up the case of Hillary Clinton in the email server. Wow. It will happen. Freaked me out. And this is why I, I said, God, you're telling me, aren't you? It was in Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the heathens rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the key word. Against his anointed. Saying, 
Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And then the rest of it, you want to read it like, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So, but the thing that got me was that word in verse 2. Against the Lord and against his anointed. The reason it got me was because I had heard and completely dismissed it. A, a, a few people who said, they said they were prophesying. Of course, you know how that is. What's that, Elijah list or something? Uh, my God, the number of prophecies out there is choke a dadgum elephant. Um, I'm not saying anything bad about that. I just say there's a bunch of it. <laughs> Would you like to say something about that, Josh? <laughs> On behalf of me. Uh, but uh, I just blew it off. Number one, I didn't want it. And that was the reason I blew it off. And then I, and here's what they said. They said Trump is the modern day Cyrus. Okay, that's what they said. I had heard that. So when the Lord gives me this against His anointed, I thought, Oh my God! Look over in Isaiah 45. Turn there real fast, because I do this scripture. 45 of Isaiah, verse one. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight, break in pieces of the gates of bronze, and cut the bars of iron, and give you the treasures of, God, of the darkness, and so on and so forth. So when they said... That about Trump, him being like Cyrus, I knew, having read the Bible, Rodney, really recommend that you read the Bible, so these moments can happen with you. I thought, holy mackerel, God called Cyrus his anointed, and when you tell me Psalms 2 is on the table, and you're saying these kings are going to rise against his anointed, you have kind of connected some dots for me. That guy's getting elected. Against my will and against my, you know, my uh, recommendation. And he did. He did. Yeah. But I knew at the time that there was more on the table. A lot more. So, uh, you know, I, let me say this about that before we go to it. <clears throat> There is a history of this in this church. And, I, and it's, it's come through me, but, it, but it's because of this church. All right. I mean, I can't separate the church from this. All right, I'll show you why. I've had a history of prophesying the elections. Six in a row. Six in a row. I'm not kidding you. And so, and then seven now with Trump. So that's, you know, there's a history here. It's also part of my spiritual legacy, folks. And this is why I'm telling you, the younger generation, you have a legacy here. That what we've done here will continue here if you walk with it. My personal legacy in this is my grandfather, who was a prophet, lived in the days of the Depression. 
That was back before floppy disk. Way back. In the 20s. He actually was born in 1899. And because of the Depression, a guy named Franklin Roosevelt ran for president. Promised to do all these earth-shattering changes. My granddad prophesied that that man would win, that he would win four times and would die in his fourth term. Up until that time and never since has anyone been president more than twice. It's sort of the rule. George Washington set the standard. You run twice, that's it. So nobody had even run more than twice. And here this guy, by the spirit of prophecy, Declares he's going to run four times. We had never won, die in the fourth. Did it happen? For those who you have ever read a history? Yeah, it happened. And he had a whole bunch of more stuff. Of the day that he lived in that was going to go on in their day. So I have a legacy. I brought it to this church. It's been planted in this church. And now it is yours. And so... Do you suffer with the spirit of prophecy? We just read the scriptures that Jesus would suffer. And these guys suffer too. That's how you get it. So some of your sufferings are to produce a revelation of what God wants to do to save his people in your day. You are assigned to them. Amen. Are you all with me? Did I go over your head? Is that too much to handle? I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just reporting what is actually true. I'm not making this stuff up. Why would I? Well, he also gave me another one. Isaiah 54. Turn over there. When I got this, I thought, you know, Psalms 2 seems to be primarily about him being elected. There's some innuendos in there as well. We read them. But I think the longer player in this process is the one we're going to read. Psalms 2, what's the sentence? Psalm 2 gets you elected. Isaiah 54 keeps you elected. Keeps you in the service. Now, I'm getting out here. I'm, 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 I'll admit, I'm getting out ahead of the game and telling you that before it happens or it doesn't happen, I think Trump's going to survive all this stuff. Now, you listen to, which channel do you like the most, CNN? <laughs> MSNBC? There ain't no way they, they wouldn't hear that for nothing. On the demon dress? Hey, I, I heard another word for the demon dress. Demon rats. That's pretty good, too. So, and the reason I say that is because what we're going to read. All right? And it has to do with this church, believe it or not. You guys actually produced some of this. 54, <clears throat> verse uh, 14. It says, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. I'm sorry, yeah. Let's go down from 15. 15 is where it started. Indeed, they shall surely assemble or gather together, but not because of me or God. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created a blacksmith who blows the coals in a fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. I have created a spoiler to destroy, 
But, verse 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. Has there been an increase in the number of tongues that have risen against this guy? And according to this scripture, it don't look good for them at some point. Right now, it looks like they're going to run him right out of town. I've never seen anybody take that much hits. That's unbelievable. And what I believe that God is trying to show us, he is your forerunner. Get ready. is coming your way. In a theater near you. Okay? That guy is suffering for, I think, through the spirit of prophecy. He is showing as a sign what's about to take place through Jesus. Because Psalms 2 is all about Jesus. His king is going to come, and it's going to be over. But we're setting the stage for that through what we live through right now. Now, let me just read something here. I wrote this stuff down. When you get into these spiritual turmoils, I'm I'm, I'm recommending that you write. I write. And if you will bear with me, I'd like to read to you what I wrote as I started getting into this stuff. It makes some sense, I think. And I describe, well, I'll just read it. Isaiah 54 was given to me along with Psalms 2, 10 days before the 2016 election. The Lord shocked me with this, and my response was, Lord, are you showing me that Trump will win the presidency? He was. And as I reflected on it, I thought that the Psalm 2 scripture had the most immediate effect, even shock value, but that Isaiah 54 would be the longer-term player. Boy, has that proven to be true. Without a doubt, they have assembled together against Trump, and now we await for the completion of that prophecy. They shall fall for your sake, and no weapon formed against you will prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you will condemn. And this is the part about us. This scripture is so personal to me that I cannot shake myself loose from this event that is shaking America, even though I desperately would like to. I cannot deny that this scripture is a part of me. My life past, my life future, and my life call. When the Lord gave me the name of my church, City of Refuge, he said it would take a city, not just a church, to be a place of refuge in future days of darkness. Isaiah 54 was given us as scriptural support for the past sufferings that prepared this church up to that moment and as a blueprint for the things that God would do because we chose to stay in the fire. To add the final blow to my desire to check out, I cannot deny the personal experiences that God has put me through concerning Isaiah 54. This cannot be an accident or for no purpose other than just my personal development. It is just too large and powerful, and I am undone but his witness. That is the truth. God help me. So, let me take a couple of minutes and see the, the history of the city of refuge is in this chapter of Isaiah 54. We have lived this. It's crazy. It began in eight, 1987, 88, 89 for all you, you gray heads were there. You remember those wonderful days? When God completely turned the church world upside down 
And he ran out everybody who was basically messing it up with money. The thing about that move of God is it was all over the country. It was in every town, every church, especially this church. And he blew it up. Completely blew it up. We were called the meeting place in those days. Not after that day. We became the mating place to everybody at Andrews, to everybody, to a remnant. Because I'm not kidding you. Everybody left except a remnant. Just a few of us. And the the spirit of prophecy had just begun to sow its works in us. We were just starting what he was about to do. And so you all lived it, those of you who were here. And many of you were kids. Look at some of your parents. They were here. But the kids were just pups. They had no idea what was really going on. When this happened, you know, we had affairs in the church by the leaders. It blew everybody out of here. (coughs) Every elder, every minister, every music director. It was just ridiculous. We were left one of each to carry on. And in Hebrews 12, I had people throw over there. Hebrews 12. We lived this scripture. I had people coming to me saying, you need to change the name of that church. Why? Because you don't like mating place? We'd go to the store. You know how it is. Oh, what church you go to? <laughs> Try not to say it. <laughs> what? <laughs> and God told us, he told me. When people told me to change the name, I said, to what? God told me to just stay in it. Eat what has been done. Verse 12 of chapter 13. Jesus, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. At that time, we were just outside the city limits. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And he told us, Take it and tell people you go to the meeting place where God is. That was a walk of faith. And the next verse became a seed for the future. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. The word city became part of us. Planting that seed. Well, this whole church had that going. And Isaiah 54, it talked about, you know, we were like a woman forsaken. A woman forsaken. Nobody wanted to be around us. There was no ministerial lives in those days. When, when we actually started meeting, they looked at me like, you, you actually showed up? <laughs> it was a joke. It was a joke. Jokes on us. During the same period of time, I was going through this amazingly personal trial where I had to learn to trust God. Many of you are there right now. That's where you are. Your sufferings is to teach you how to trust God. That's the fruit that he wants out of this trial. That's the hardest thing, I think, on the planet to get to, by the way. Everybody wants to trust God. Nobody trusts God, but to get to it, 
You go through your valley. Man, you, you, you get blown up where you know that if God doesn't move, you're a dead man. You have no, you have no answer. And you really have no solution. You'd love to run, but you can't. He always picks the right moment in your life. You know, just when you get past the point where you can run, maybe age-wise or your, or your circumstances of life, you know, you're too old to get another job or something, you know, something, he just makes sure you understand, you ain't got an answer, dude. And so the Lord began, he, that's when he gave me the scripture we read in Isaiah. They're going to gather together against you. Where I was learning this trust issue was at my job. And they gathered together in a big corporation to blow me up. And boy, they had all the evidence that they needed. I was a dead duck. And yet I had a prophecy from Mike Bowman and Ivan Tate that said, you stay where you stay. You stand there. They're gonna, God's gonna work it this way. See if this doesn't work for Trump right now. Everybody's gonna give up hope. Everybody. That would include me, by the way. And my wife. And my kids. And my church. And when everybody has given up, then God's gonna move by His Spirit and do an amazing work. And you'll have great success. Well, you got the first part, right? How do you get to the second part? Psalm 91. He gave me Psalm 91. Turn there real fast. And I begin to preach that to this church. Psalm 91. I could read the whole chapter because it all matters. But I will leave it to a few verses. Verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. There's the other seed word. And my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. And that's where He had me. I will trust. Under His wings I'll take refuge. That's that middle scripture. That middle banner. That's verse 4. When I was preaching this stuff, get this, out of the spirit of prophecy. I was suffering, man. We were suffering. And yet we were looking at him by faith, trying to get to the place where we actually trusted him. Now, then we move forward and we began to enter into what we are at now. When the presidency issue began to take place. And I mean, I still wonder where God's taking this. Finally, we come out of it. That prophecy about great success, it actually happened. And every one of those that gathered against me in my job, it was amazing how many of them all got fired on the same day. I talk about my boss, his boss, his boss, and his boss. You get awfully close to the corporate headquarters. That is unbelievable in a, in a Fortune 50 company. In one day. And they had me dead to rights. They were going to fire me that day. They got fired. And I walked away clean into another section of the company. And boom, great success in areas I had no clue on what they were even talking about. Isn't that ridiculous? It's great. 
I was in a, a bank deal and a school district deal. So the biggest deals that this company had ever had, and I couldn't spell school. I was at A and M. Just a joke, guy. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I just sat there like I knew what I was doing. I didn't know a clue. And God sent all kinds of people in there to help me from the same company that was trying to fire me. This will teach you to trust God. You know what I mean? From the same corner, the people that were trying to destroy me now want to help me. Yeah, yeah, right. This is where faith and trust start taking their place. You walk by faith. And you get into the place of his trust in him. So we've gone, after all this amazing success, going to vacation, and my son asked me, Dad, who's going to win the election? That was back when George Sr. was running for a re-election. By all means, all right, should have won. Because he was successful in his first term. Everything was good. But there was a guy from Dallas named H. Ross Perot that ran against him and Clinton. Clinton was a bogus Dirt bag from Arkansas. Anybody likes that? Raise them backs. Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> I remember Perot who used to, this guy Perot was a, was an amazing character for those that don't remember him. He was a successful billionaire. Kind of like Trump. And he, I mean, he has an amazing success stories. Truly amazing. He was a, a hero really to a lot of people. He mocked Bill Clinton. He said, Clinton wants us to believe that he can run the country because he was governor of Arkansas. That's like getting somebody from a small little town grocery store and asking them to run Walmart. <laughs> Mocked him. And so, and Perot was doing good. So on the way to vacation, my son asked me, Dad, who's going to win? And all of a sudden, the spirit of prophecy hit me again. I said, son. And I just went through a litany of things. Jeremiah was a good man, but he watched his country go into captivity. Daniel was a good man. He lived his life in captivity. I just, on and on, on. Ezekiel, another good man, lived in captivity. So here's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I had no clue what I was saying. It just pops out. So Clinton's going to win, and he's going to win twice. And after that, there's going to be a Christian that will come. He's going to win twice. And after that, there's going to be darkness. Now, did I get it right? Now, I will confess this. I thought the darkness would be uh, Hillary. I don't know if I'm glad I was right or wrong on that deal, but you know what? The spirit of had darkness. And then this deal I just described to you today. Okay? And then I said this. The darkness is coming. And this is going to be awful. And what there is a need for is a place, a city, where people trust God. It needs to be a city of refuge. Came home and said, this we got a new name for the church. City of refuge by the seeds that we planted when we went through the trial. So... Isaiah 54. The scripture he gave me to go along with what I was getting was in Isaiah 54. And it described the process that this church 
had been through and me personally had been through and then he's teeing it up again. Isaiah 54 verse 4, do not fear for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced for you will not be put to shame for you will forget the shame of your youth. Thank you. <laughs> Our youth was bad mating place. You will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. Our pastor left us high and dry. Now he's dead. For your maker is your husband, and their Lord of hosts is his name. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He's called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. And this became on, this next verse was on our letterhead for a long time. For a mere moment, I have forsaken you. But with great mercies, I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I'll have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And then he goes on. This is like the waters of Noah to me. It ain't happening again. You know, and it didn't. That total wipeout and reproach never happened again. Although, we've had several attacks from the same area to try to destroy us. It's like we didn't miss a beat. Every time Satan would hit us, we'd pop up bigger. Better. Why? There's a rainbow over us. It ain't that one. You know. It's the real one. It's a sign to us. He has a covenant with you guys. So you're suffering. Count it all joy when you suffer for Jesus' sake. Count it joy. Get the picture of what he's trying to produce. And folks, I will be honest with you. It's not your happiness. Who said that, Bronwyn? Yeah, Bronwyn. She made a real clear point today. The one little thing you just added. Happiness and joy aren't the same. Now, are they? Your joy will be complete. Happiness is a figment of your imagination. That comes and goes many times in a day. But joy? Not joy. There's three huge elements in the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. We have that Holy Spirit here. We will continue being joyful. In spite of your troubles, we will continue to believe. Amen? I want you guys... To buck up. You know, I'm not trying to put you down. I say, buck up. You can do this. Why? The greater one lives in you. He's in you. And by faith we've declared these things. Put your trust in him. You know what? He's worthy of that. I was thinking the other day, you know, God, I'm getting old. But I've been around the lap, man. And I've seen how faithful you really are. And it's never been because I'm a good guy. I thought, I'm standing in line telling you, I've never been a good guy. But you are a great God. And you love me. That's enough for me. That really is. just, just, Just love me. I'm fine. No matter what happens. I mean, I wish they wouldn't. But it just makes my love relationship with him better. It always has. It always will. So your trouble 
as many of you are having trouble in your marriage, understand that if you hang in there, it'll come out like fiery gold. You can't kill it. Love never fails. It is surely tested. <laughs> but I have the t-shirts that say it. I have the stripes that show it and the scars that remind me. It never failed. I too among the prophets with a wife issue. I've lost my wife with the same word. Don't mourn. I'm giving you another. Why? There's a call on this church to bring forth the bride and the bridegroom and sit at that table. And somehow or another, it has to do with the presence. I don't know what that means. But I would love to go to Washington and tell Trump, look, dude, I wish you could shut your mouth. I know you're not. But I want you to know this. They ain't going to win. Hang in there. I know it. I know it. Then if I'm wrong, y'all go all kill me at the same time, okay? I just this is part of this part of the price you pay. You get out there, you get out there in faith. Amen. Faith, I'm getting out of the dad gumbo. Oh my god, it's deep. But the next thing you know, you're walking on the water. And everybody's declaring what a great guy you are. No, you're not. Oh, you're not no great guy. You were freaking out going down there, weren't you? We all do. No one's great. He's great. So just serve the great God and know that he loves you. Father, I pray for these people. God, please help them right now. They need it. They need it. So speak a kind word to them. A moment in private. And then do something special for them. Maybe that would be in public. But let them know you got them in your hands. you got your hands on them. You're not going to let go. Please, God, strengthen them that they not let go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Highly recommend you come tonight at 6. The praise and worship at 6 is now.